Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the worship arts pastor here at New Life, and I just want to welcome you and thank you for uh, braving the storm to come out. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you're like me or not, but I actually, I love winter storms. So whenever I get that thing on my phone that says winter storm warning, like I'm filled up with adrenaline. I don't know why. I don't know if it's, I think I just like the unpredictability of winter. Uh, you know, that the, the, there's no routine to it. I just, I, I like that. Maybe it's something in me from when I was a kid and, you know, you wake up early and you get the word there's a two-hour delay and there's just like joy and then you can't sleep, which is horrible because that's really what you want to do, right? Um, and then you just hope the whole two hours that you're delayed that they cancel, um, but they, you know, they usually never did, unfortunately. But uh, I don't know if that, that's just part of who I am, but uh, how many of you love winter storms? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, actually, a lot of you. That's great. Uh, my wife is not one of those people. Um, and uh, let me tell you a brief story before we jump in this morning. Uh, I, our house, uh, one, our bass player, actually, Casey, who's playing bass today, he said, your house must be like a constant musical. Uh, because my wife and I both went to school for music. And the <laughs> funny thing was, it, it, it is true. It is exactly like a musical all the time in our house. Our kids sing all the time. We sing all the time. If you ever just stood outside our house, which, by the way, would be creepy, so don't do that, okay? <laughs> yeah, just don't go there. So. But if you did, okay, you, you would hear us singing lots and lots of songs, you know, like Lion King and pretty much every Disney movie ever. And, um, and that's okay because uh, I, I have these kids, and I, I, love, I love them, and I love watching those movies with them. But I'm kind of a little bit of an instigator sometimes with my wife because she stays home with our kids all the time, and the kids sing all the time. And, uh, and so I thought this morning I would go into their rooms before I left uh, and just open the door a little bit and say, do you want to build a... Anybody? Snowman. Yeah. Okay, let's try that again. Do you want to build a... Good. All right. Hey, somebody over here nailed it. Good job. Okay. So, so that comes from the movie Frozen, right? And so I know, like, if I would have done that, I didn't. I decided to do the wise thing, okay? Uh, I didn't, but I know that if I would have, my wife or my daughter would have sat straight up in her bed and went, and ride our bikes around the hall. I think some company is overdue. I've been riding to the pictures on the wall. Hang in there, Joan. She does it. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And, uh, and I love that. But, uh, but I do. I love winter. And I have thoroughly loved ask, asking my kids if we could build a snowman. And I did the other day. Are you ready for this? It was this tall. <laughs> because building a snowman is harder than it looks. Okay? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> it is. Like, I've, I've tried to make this big old thing. And by the time I was done making the first thing, I was like, I'm too tired to make the rest. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's heavy snow, come on. So uh, anyway, welcome to, back to part four of a five-part series called Anchors in the Storm. We're so excited uh, th- to be in this series. In fact, it's been a great series. And we've been addressing three primary questions that everybody asks all the time. First is, who am I? Who am I? You know, deep down inside, you know, who am I? Not who am I pretending to be, but who am I actually? And the second question is, uh, where am I going where am I going? You know, I, we always think that, you know, what, you know why, why am I at the place I am? Where am I headed in my life? And then it kind of ties in with this third question that we're asking, you know, what's the, is there any meaning to the trip? Or in other words, uh, why am I here? What's my purpose? You know, who am I? 
Where am I going and why am I here? Those are the three primary questions that all humans have had to deal with ever since the beginning of creation. Who are we? Why are we here? And where are we going? And so throughout this series, we've kind of broken that down a little bit because we know something is is absolutely true when it comes to living life. And that is this, that if you're a human being, which all of you are, that you will naturally tend to drift in the waves of culture or just in, in, in whatever culture you're part of, whether it's your family culture or, or the culture as a whole, you will naturally just follow culture and believe what culture believes and not believe what culture believes and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so what happens is when storms come into our life, we're just being battered around by all these waves and, and eventually some of those storms, they can be pretty severe that they might even destroy us. And so through this series, we've been trying to find anchors in the Word of God What does God have to say about this? Because the world has three responses. The first response is is the response of atheism. And I want to just share that with you real quick. It says this, um, no one can know the answers. No one can know the answers is the response of atheism. The response of agnosticism is I don't care if there are answers. And the third one is I can make a guess. That's the response of philosophy and religion, that I can make a guess at how to answer the three questions, who am I, why am I here, and where am I going? But we believe here at New Life, and if you're a follower of Jesus, we believe this, that there is truth that has been revealed to us. That is the answer of Christianity, of following Jesus, that that God has actually revealed to us his truth. And so throughout this series, we've been seeking to anchor ourselves to the truth of God because the storms, when they come, and they will come if you're not in one already, when the storms come, we have to be anchored to something. Otherwise, we're going to be blown to pieces or we, or we might just go where we don't really want to go. And so we have to have an anchor. So the first week we talked about God the Father, that God the Father anchors our past, our present, and our future. You see, God created everything, and so He gave everything purpose. He gave everything meaning, and, and more importantly, I think, than all of that is He gave everything an identity. He didn't mean for everything to be on earth as confusing, you know, because when he created a tree, he said, you know, this is a tree, right? I mean, Adam might have been able to name it, but God created it, right? He gave it that identity, who it is uh, or what it is. And he did the same thing for human beings. He created us and gave us purpose. So he anchors our life. And then we, we found out in week two that Jesus is, is the way that we re, um, receive God's purpose and our identity and our meaning for our life. And we discovered this, that we are not, uh, we are who Jesus says we are, and we are meant to do what Jesus has called only us to do. So no matter what the world tells us, no matter uh, what your family tells you, what, what your past is, it doesn't matter because what matters is this, that Jesus has given you an identity he has given you a purpose, and he has, he has given you a destination to go after this life. And, and even in this life, we experience a little bit of that. And we get that as we spend time with Jesus. And we talked about that week that we affix ourselves to Jesus through uh, these ropes where we tie a rope of studying the Word of God and prayer and living in obedience. And when we do those things, Jesus reveals more of himself. But, but for us, the benefit is as he does that, he also reveals more of who we truly are as well. Now, um, the last week we talked about anchoring ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Chris said this uh, really awesome statement. Here's what he said. He said, the Holy Spirit anchors our actions when we give him control. The Holy Spirit anchors our actions when we give him control. 
So you see, we, we talked about the week before that if we want to live in obedience to Jesus, that we can't do it ourselves. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit because here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life of obedience to Jesus. Left on our own, we can't do it. But if we rely on the Holy Spirit, we can. And here's the, here's the point. We have to live surrendered lives to the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Chris always does this amazing thing with his hands. He says, you know, if we're in control, you know, versus God's being in control, right? And his hands are way bigger, so it makes uh, a lot, it's a lot more powerful, okay? So, um, but uh, my fingers are short and stubby, but you can see, you know, if God's in control, our lives are going well. If we're in control, our life isn't going well at all. And yet, oftentimes, we still seek out control, 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 control. And so last week, we talked about how to relinquish that control and give control to the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you, go online and watch that message because it's incredibly powerful. And so that was the, the third anchor. Now, the fourth anchor is a little bit different than the first three because the first three anchors were directly tied to God, okay, and the three persons of, of the, what we call the Trinity, okay, and that God exists in three persons. And so we affix ourselves to God. But today, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit, and we're going we're gonna to look at a perspective that we need to change in our lives if we truly want to have an anchor that will help us when we are in the middle of, of one of the worst storms of our life, okay? And so that we're going to look at this perspective, and we're going to look at it in, in, the, uh, in the kind of the realm of a story that Jesus took, uh, that Jesus actually shared with a group of people. So I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open it up to Matthew, or Luke, I'm sorry, chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, if you don't have a Bible, uh, I would encourage you to get out your phone and and follow along with us, or you can follow along on the screen. But uh, let's read this story that Jesus shared with this group of people. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gates was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that, who, who, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham, Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus and, and the story that he tells that, that will shape our perspective when it comes to living this life. And I pray, God, that today you would just break open our hearts that we might receive your truth and your life today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So Jesus was sharing this story uh, with a group of guys called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were a, a set of people. They were a kind of people who were very, very religious. And, and what that simply means is this. They had a certain set of rules that they believed if they followed those rules as perfectly as they could, that they could earn God's favor. And so the Pharisees kind of were, were having this discussion with Jesus, and, and Jesus went into this story as a means to teach them about a perspective that they need to have in their life if they truly want to have a right relationship with God. And as we read this story today, we're going to gain that perspective as well, because the story is not just for them, it's also for us. And so Jesus begins by saying, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs licked his sores. Now, the, Jesus, right at the, the top of the story, lays out a, a distinction between two kinds of people. He talks about the rich man who was dressed in purple, which would have in that time signified royalty or at least a, a lot of wealth. And he talks about a beggar. And so Jesus gives these two categories of people, the, the rich people and the poor people. Now, to the Pharisees, they would have understood that. It would have been a foundational thought for them. And, and here's why. They believed that if you did everything that God had, had called you to do in, in following the law, that you could be blessed by God so much that you would be a rich person. And so to them, they understood, okay, this rich person represents the, the people who follow Jesus, the people who uh, are blessed by God, and this poor beggar, they, this represents a group of people who don't follow God, who have cast God out of their lives and, and must uh, be smitten by God for whatever reason. And Jesus kind of starts the story with this picture, something that they could understand. And then he goes a little bit further, and he says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now, this, this would have been a point of conflict for the Pharisees because, remember, in their minds, rich people go to heaven, poor people go somewhere else, okay? Rich people are blessed by God, poor people are not. Rich people are following God, doing everything they need to do. God's blessing them. That's why they're rich. Poor people, something's going on in their life. Their life's screwed up. They're not being blessed by God, okay? So, so you, they've got this perspective, and then Jesus throws in this statement and said, listen, the beggar Lazarus, who was at the gate of the rich man every day, he died and he went to Abraham's side. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us, but what it meant to them was this, that Abraham was the father of the Jews, okay? And the Pharisees are very strict followers of, of uh, Jewish followers of the law. And so to them, Father Abraham represented their, the father of their lineage. He was the patriarch and he was most certainly in heaven with God. And so, what Jesus essentially said is, Lazarus died and went to heaven, and he was with Father Abraham. And, uh, you know, you can almost kind of feel the tension rising in the, in the conversation where the Pharisees are like, I don't know, Jesus, I don't know about that. And then Jesus actually continues on, and he says, okay, so Lazarus died and went to heaven, and then Jesus continued, the rich man has also died and was buried, which made sense, right? I mean, the, the, the Pharisees knew, okay, people die, and, and, and you know, everybody dies, but the 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 beggar goes to heaven. It doesn't make sense. But what about this, this rich man? What's, where's he going to go? And Jesus starts the next sentence with, in hell, comma. <laughs> I just think that's, that's so funny because Jesus kind of was taking their idea and just turning it on its head because, you know, the rich man's supposed to go to heaven. And Jesus says, in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away 
with Lazarus by his side. Now, something very serious for the Pharisees, they would have been extremely angered by that statement. Because remember, that Pharisee was supposed to be blessed by God. He was supposed to be the one who's going to heaven, not the beggar, not the poor man, Lazarus. Why is he in heaven? Why is the, the rich man in hell? And, and I just want to pause just a minute. The word Hades that Jesus used uh, in there in, from the Greek literally means hell. But more than, than anything, it designates that there are two places. And Jesus points them out. Okay, the place with Father Abraham, the heaven, and the, and the place separated from that place, which is hell. Okay, so I just wanted to point that out before we move on. Verse 24, Jesus continues in the story. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. So the rich man, not only was he in hell, separated from God, he was suffering. This rich man, supposedly blessed by God, was in hell suffering. And this poor man, this beggar, was in heaven enjoying peace. I mean, he was with Abraham. That is a huge blessing. And so for the Pharisees, this would have just been more salt in the wound. Because he was not only in hell, he was suffering. He was eternally separated from God. And and the interesting thing here in this statement is that even the rich man in hell doesn't seem to get it because he said to Abraham, could you please have Lazarus bring me a drink of water. Instead of thinking that he could get up and go and actually do something, he, he wanted Lazarus to serve him. Kind of a, a foolish man, if you ask me. And then Jesus introduces this amazing perspective. And this is kind of where we're going to focus in a little bit today. And Jesus points out that we need to all have this perspective when it comes to life. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 25. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now, the amazing thing about the response of Abraham here in this story is that he begins with the the rich man's request to bring water, Abraham begins the next sentence with the word son. 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 Now, that's significant because for the Pharisees, they would have been considered sons of Abraham. Because, remember, he was the patriarch of their lineage. And in other words, what what, um, Abraham is saying is, listen, in your life, you were connected to me. You had the opportunity to know the truth, and you didn't. You rejected it. You walked away from it. And instead, Lazarus now, the beggar, is is with me because he did pay attention to it. He did understand it because in your life, you had many good things. And here's what what Jesus is pointing out here in Abraham's response, that the, the rich man had a great life. I mean, he had a great life. If you can imagine a good life here, that's the kind of life that, that the rich man had. But the rich man was so consumed with his life that he couldn't move past himself. In fact, it's amazing because Lazarus was at his gate, and the Bible says, Jesus used in this story, that he was covered in sores. And what that meant was that the rich man didn't even think 
enough of the, of the beggar or even care at all about him to actually help him, to provide some health care for him. He didn't even give him food. I mean, Lazarus was hoping that some food would fall from his table. And what that, what that means in the story is that the rich man might give him some leftovers simply. But the rich man never did that. He was so consumed with himself. And Abraham says, son, you had a good life, but you messed it up. Lazarus had a hard life, but he got it right. And that's the point Jesus was introducing here. And it's the perspective that we need to adopt into our lives, especially if you're a follower of Jesus in here today, because Jesus was pointing this this out, this is our take-home point for today, that the decisions we make now matter for eternity. The decisions we make now matter for eternity. The rich man got it wrong. The beggar, Lazarus, got it right. He was faced with a decision to follow God and let go of himself, and the rich man chose not to do that. But, but like Pastor Chris said this morning, sometimes it takes that moment when we don't even think we need Jesus until we actually need him, right? And we don't realize that he's all we need until he's all we have. And for Lazarus, that was easy. Lazarus didn't have anything. He had dogs licking his sores. And and these weren't like pets. These were gross, disgusting, probably somewhat rabid dogs licking him on his sores. It's It's a horrible image. He had a hard life, but he made the right decision to commit his life to the Lord, to love the Lord. And And the rich man was so consumed with himself that he missed it completely. And so that's what Jesus was pointing out. And the story continues, Jesus says. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Now, this is incredibly important and significant. Because the, the rich man in hell is saying, please, send somebody, send Lazarus to my family and tell them this is real and this is horrible and I am set apart from God. I am in anguish here. Please send somebody to warn them. I can't even get a drink of water here. I'm isolated. Please send somebody. And Abraham says, no. No, I'm not going to do that. They have everything they need right before them. Because you see, the Jews had what is known as the Old Testament. It's the, uh, the first part of the Bible. And the Old Testament tells the Jews how they, can, how they can know God, how they can love God, and how they can be in relationship with Him. And they have that witness in their own lives. That's why... Abraham says, no, they have Moses and and the prophets. They have the teachings of Moses, the law, and they have the prophets who are speaking uh, kind of warnings into their life and and guiding them to follow God and be uh, repentant in heart and, and loving God with all that they are. But they don't listen to it. They didn't listen to it. And so Lazarus says, listen, surely they will, they, somebody from the dead will catch their attention. I mean, look at, look at the next statement that Jesus made or that Abraham made. No father, or I'm sorry, the the rich man. No father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, Jesus in this moment was pointing 
to what was going to happen with his own life. That he was going to be crucified and die, and three days later, God was going to raise him back to life again in his power, overcoming sin and death. And Jesus would have appeared to many, many people, and there would have been Jews who would have seen Jesus even after he was crucified. And even then, they didn't believe. In fact, the, the Jewish people were the greatest enemy of the, of the early followers of Jesus. It's amazing how they, they basically tormented them and, and persecuted them for their belief in Jesus. And I mean, Jesus had been raised from the dead. And so what, what Abraham said here in his response, and Jesus points out, is that, listen, it doesn't matter if somebody from the dead goes and tells them, you think that's going to work? It's not going to work because I'm going to rise from the dead and they're still not going to believe. They're not going to put their faith, their trust in me. And Jesus was pointing out to the Pharisees that, listen, guys, if you want to be serious about loving God, you got to get your mind and your heart off of what you need to do and actually put your mind and your heart on loving God for who he is and what he's done. You know, in the Old Testament, it's amazing. Somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, quoted from the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Right? I mean, sometimes I think we think that Jesus had this new teaching. He really didn't. He just fulfilled what God had said before. And he gives us his righteousness, but then he teaches us to do the same as we are empowered now by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus points out that we just need to love God with everything that we are. We need to love him. We need to be in a good, right relationship with him. So, so in this passage, Jesus teaches us three things. Okay? Three things that Jesus teaches, teaches us. You might want to write these down. Jesus teaches there is a life after this life. There is a life after this life. Now, I think oftentimes we think that today, in our culture, this is the only culture where atheism has ever had the greatest influence that it, that it has. And it isn't. Actually, in Jesus' day, there were many people who would have, we would have called atheists. Okay, they didn't believe there was something after the end. They would live stoic lives or they would follow this philosophy or that philosophy. But for, but for the most part, there was this idea that there's, just, there's nothing after this life. And so Jesus was not only you know, using this story to teach them about a new perspective, but he was showing them that, listen, you know, guys, this is real. There is something more after this life. There is a, a new perspective that we need to have, and it's based on eternity. And so Jesus was simply pointing that out. The second point that Jesus teaches is that there are two places where people go after this life, heaven or hell, and they're real places. If they weren't real, please understand this, if they weren't real, Jesus would have never said it because Jesus was God. Jesus was fully God. I mean, those people who spent the most time with him, the eyewitnesses who wrote these accounts, they knew he was God. They'd seen him raise people back to life. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him do all of these things. But more than that, they believed in him. They, they trusted him. They knew just down in their hearts that he was who he said he was. And he said that he was God. And if he is God, Scripture tells us, God cannot lie. And Jesus would not have lied in this story. So heaven and hell are real places. One is a place of joy and peace where we will be in the presence of God all the time. Another is, is complete separation from God. And I mean, look at this story. You know, it's interesting. I've had people come to me and say, you know, uh, number one, I don't believe hell is real, or I do believe hell is real, but only temporary. And, and what they mean by the first one is that I just don't believe, he you know, hell is real. I believe everybody will be saved. Um, 
that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Jesus made very clear that we have one way, and it's through Him that we trust Him as our Lord and Savior. And then the other response, actually, we owe to a, a guy who was a very influential pastor um, in kind of the, I guess if you use this term, evangelical church world, okay? And, and, and he kind of made this argument that people, when they die and they go to hell because our God is so loving and gracious that he's going to go into hell and present Jesus again, and those who uh, will trust him in hell will be in heaven. And what I understand is when I read this story, that's not going to happen. And so Jesus basically points out that we have this life to decide and commit. Are we going to live for him? Are we going to know him? Are we going to trust him? Are we going to reject him? Because the rich man rejected Jesus, but Lazarus would have accepted him and trusted him as Lord. And that leads us to the third point, that Jesus teaches that the decisions we make now matter for eternity, right? The decisions we make now matter for eternity. And, and let me get real practical real quick, okay? The decisions you make this week, if you have eternity in mind, knowing that one day you're going to go to heaven, then the decisions you make this week need to reflect that if you're a follower of Jesus. And they need to reflect it to the point of you want other people with you when you go. Okay, because the only thing you can take to heaven, you can't take, the rich man found this out, you can't take anything to heaven or hell <laughs> except other people. And so as followers of Jesus, our goal is to take this truth about Jesus, that there's a life after this life, that there is two places that people will go. We have to take the truth of God we have to share it. And, and here's why. There's only one problem. There's only one problem that humans have in all the world. In, in the past, in the present, in the future, there's only one problem that humans face in the whole universe. The Bible makes it very clear. It's the wrath of God. The wrath of God will be poured out on sin. And we are sinful people. And we need to be saved from that. And that's why God sent Jesus. God loved us enough, and so much really, that he gave his son for us. You see, because Jesus, he stepped out of heaven, he came here and he lived a life, he met the requirements that the Pharisees were trying to live by. He lived that life perfectly. He met God's standard. He was crucified on the cross. He died there. And he bore our sin. The Bible says that, that, that he actually took on the sin of the world. And he paid for it on the cross. Three days later, after he was buried, God raised him back to life again in his power. And in that moment, Jesus overcame sin and death forever. And I love that, that Scripture tells us that, that now we can receive Jesus' righteousness and we can wear it like a garment, like a robe. We can put it on over us so that when God is, is, is dealing with sin and, and in the, in the, at the end when he's dealing with sin finally and there's judgment and God is, is judging people, that he looks and he, he finds those to be judged and those to be judged. And then he sees us who are followers of Jesus, those who believe. He sees Jesus and he says, come on, you belong with me. See, Jesus took care of the only problem we'll ever have really. Because in this life, we're going to have problems, but the real problem is the next life. We got to get that right now. That's the whole point 
of the story that Jesus shared with the Pharisees. That, listen, guys, you only have this amount of time. You don't know how long that is. God knows. You don't know. So you need to get right right now. So today, I want to give you that opportunity. Because what Jesus said to the Pharisees is true for us. We only have this life. And not only do we have the Moses and the prophets, we have the words of God himself, Jesus. And Jesus said, if we will believe in him and trust him, that we will be saved from God's wrath. That we'll be adopted. I love what John, the gospel writer, says, we'll be adopted in his family. And so right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads, and, and I'm going to give you uh, two challenges. Number one, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, please make today the day that you do that. Please, don't wait, because you don't know if you have tomorrow. Make today the day that you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to live with eternity in mind because the decisions you make now matter for eternity. They, they matter. The, the relationship you have with your boss, the way you treat him the way or her, the way that you deal with your spouse, the way that you deal with your kids, those decisions that we make, they're going to echo in eternity. And the reason is because they'll either point people to Jesus or not. So in this moment, I want to I pray for those of you who want to trust Jesus for the first time. And I want to pray for the rest of, of us who have trusted Jesus that we will truly live with the end in mind. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we have the opportunity to know him, to trust him, to love him. And God, in this life, I pray today for those who have decided to commit to you, maybe for the first time. God, because our problem, our problems in this life don't even touch the main problem that we have in, in your judgment. And so today we just claim Jesus. We say yes to Jesus. We trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior that he loves us and wants us to have a new life here and now and forever. So thank you for that today in Jesus' name, God. And for the rest of us who have trusted Jesus, I pray that you'll stir in our hearts a new desire, a new um, kind of passion for you, that we would live with eternity in mind, that the decisions we make now, that they, God, do matter for eternity because I pray, God, that you would just fill us with your spirit, that we might make good decisions that will bring you glory and that will lead people to Jesus. And God, I, I pray that you would just challenge us now in our hearts as we go out of here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you the commitment as we prepare to go out today. It says, I will live with eternity in mind this week. The fourth anchor is heaven. If we want to live our lives the way that God wants us to, we have to live with eternity in mind. We have to anchor ourselves to this idea, this perspective, new perspective of heaven. And I want to leave you with an encouragement that the author of Hebrews shared with his audience. And he said this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May that be true of us as we anchor ourselves to heaven this week.